Opening day is one of my favorite days of the year. I always enjoy walking into the ballpark and taking in the smells of freshly mowed grass and burgers and hot dogs cooking on the grill. Seeing the shine of the freshly cleaned bases and power-washed concourse. And of course, that anticipation of first pitch set to come in just a matter of hours and a 140-game season laid out and ready to be tackled. It's a feeling unlike any other, and certainly one that I and plenty of others across the nation are missing right now. Though the minor league season is on hold due to the coronavirus, baseball is being kept alive through plenty of mediums. I've personally enjoyed seeing the countless simulations of minor league contests on MLB The Show, as well as the many different ways teams are interacting on social media just to keep some sense of normalcy alive during this unforeseen pandemic. However, for me, baseball, and specifically broadcasting baseball, has always come down to the relationships you have with the players, the coaches, the staff, many others. You forge those relationships primarily through conversation. And although we have to keep social distance from others right now, the power of technology allows the opportunity for daily conversation to be alive and well. We're going to take advantage of that during this time, speaking with players, coaches, former and current staff members, and many others, in an effort to recreate some form of normalcy for you, the listeners, who at around 6.45 p.m. tonight on April 9th, would have been tuning into the Power and the Hickory Crawdads for their opening night matchup at Appalachian Power Park. We hope these conversations bring you some levity and help keep you connected to the game and the people we all love and so dearly miss right now. So, from a socially distant minimum of six feet away, this is Expanding the Grid. And welcome back to another episode of Expanding the Grid, episode number nine, and what would have been the first one of the 2020 season, of course, the 2020 minor league baseball season, a bit on hold for now due to the pandemic of the coronavirus, but we've still got some guests to get to on Expanding the Grid, and joining us for the first time in 2020 is power pitching coach Nathan Bannister. Nathan, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you giving us the time. Thanks for having me, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, of course. I uh, I wish we were uh, we were talking under better circumstances, but certainly glad to give Power fans a chance to get to know you uh, a little bit more. Uh, for starters, I know last year was a bit of a, an interesting season for you. You were in big league spring training as a player, and then by the end of it, you were actually working in the Dominican with the Dominican Summer League players. Just kind of talk through a little bit of that, that whole 2019 season and how everything played out. Yeah. So, I mean, you train in the off season, um, after the 2018 season and you just kind of train as a player, you, you know, you make a plan together, um, to build into the following year and during spring training, it just wasn't the right time for me as my career started to end. And so at the end of spring training, I, um, got released, um, from the Mariner organization. And that was the first opportunity. Andy McKay actually came up to me and started to mention something about coaching. Um, just during that time, it wasn't, wasn't right for me, um, in my mental state. And so I actually, and I believe it was May and June, I, uh, went up to driveline baseball to spend a couple months there trying to work on my craft still as a pitcher. Um, but as my time there started to dwindle and, and I could see the writing on the wall, it was, it was time to move on. And so I called Andy McKay back up and I ended up in the DR for the last couple months of the season. And, and it was really, really awesome experience. So had you ever thought about coaching in any capacity before that or were you just still focused on being a player and trying to eventually make it to the big leagues yeah so playing in high school I started to notice you know what I would do as a coach you know players um they all have opinions and that's one that was like really like oh what would I do as a coach here um and that kind of transferred over into into my college days about more like learning what the coach is doing and, and why he's trying to get the message across. He is um, obviously playing was number, number one and always something I wanted to do, but you know, you, you would pick up on little things that the coaches would do to rile up the team or why they would do something. And that, that always intrigued me. Um, 
but as as a player you only get one one shot one career opportunity at it and so i wanted to try to prolong that as long as possible um but it just wasn't wasn't right for me and and i'm very thankful that there was an opportunity in coaching and so i took advantage of that and we're certainly thankful that you did and, and that you're going to be with us in the 2020 season when it does get going as as Nathan Bannister joins us here on Expanding the Grid. I know you said it took you a few months to kind of make the decision of, okay, it's time to make the move from player to coach. Was there one moment when you were up there training and, and you know rehabbing, so to speak, to say that, that, that kind of made the decision for you? Or was it just a, a gradual process over time where you just knew, okay, it's time to make the next step? Yeah, it was, I would say it's a gradual process um, over time. It was during my first year of pro ball in 2017 with the Modesto Nuts. I actually noticed like being around the players and coming from college into pro ball, just how different the stuff wise was in, in pro ball. And I mean, most of my teammates were throwing low to mid nineties and with, uh, with good off speed stuff. And I was still trying to, to paint the corners with four pitch mix type of thing. And you could just kind of see what, where pro ball was going and, and what the game was asking of pitchers to do. And that was just something that I started to realize being in pro ball um, that, you know, everything's going towards the strikeout and, and the zone is becoming more vertical up and down versus horizontal. And I, I started to see that in my first pro ball year, um, and then it really magnified my, in year two. And that's just, it was started, that was something I started to think about. Um, just how was I going to get to the big leagues without the plus plus stuff? And that just, that's why I wanted to go to driveline and why I wanted to do some weighted ball opportunities was trying to gain the, the stuff that I didn't have, but ultimately it didn't work out, but I was very thankful for the opportunity to learn at driveline and through different uh, programs that I participate in. And so hopefully I can express that on, on the pitchers we have this year and, and going forward. What do you remember most about that first year of coaching in the DR? One thing I remember most was just, just the relationships that the coaches down in the DR had with the players um, from day one, you can see the care factor that our coaches, Austin Knight, uh, the manager in the DR and Jose Amancio, the pitching coach in the Dominican um, just showed to the players and how they really cared for each guy individually. Um, it was very different from a college where you have one, one set standard and we need to win and where pro ball is more um, all about development. Each guy's is, is different and we're trying to figure out the best way for that one guy. So it was, it was nice to see that each guy um, had, had an individualized plan um, that we could attack on daily basis. And that was just something I know the Mariners and still, and it, it really showed in, in the DR, um, just just the relationships and the care factor for each guy. Was it easier for you to kind of make those relationships with some of the younger guys because, you, because you'd been a player no more than a few months prior to becoming a coach, or, or did you find it more difficult to kind of make that transition? To me, I felt like that was pretty easy to be honest. Um, it was just, you know, I was just going through this the last two years. I know what the players and what the clubhouse was like on a daily basis for the last two years. And so I felt like that was a easy transition to build relationships from the start to understand where they're at and what they're trying to do on a daily basis to become the best version of themselves. And that was something that we were all striving for. And so now being on the other side, I know I've been in their shoes and I know what they're thinking and what they're thinking about. So just trying to transform our language and our vision as a Mariners and put it onto um, a young individual is, is something I strive to do. 
So you, you finish the 2019 season in the DR, and then you get the offer to become the pitching coach for the West Virginia Power in 2020. Does being offered a full season gig as a pitching coach kind of validate the decision you made to become a coach? I wouldn't say validate, but it was definitely eye-opening, um, the respect and the and the uh, responsibility that the Mariners had entrusted me with becoming a full season affiliate coach. And that was something I'm, I'm very thankful of. Um, it's just, it's a good opportunity to try to teach the young, the young kids, um, or professional athletes coming my way. Um, what lessons I learned in pro ball and, and how I can try to enhance their, their games, whether it's mentally or working on a pitch or just building a good routine. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if that really answers your question, but it's just, it was very, um, I'm very thankful for the opportunity and it was just, yeah. Nathan Bannister joining us here on expanding the grid. Uh, Nathan, where would you say that you kind of glean some of the coaching philosophies you've used in, in your first year and now coming into 2020 from? You, you've obviously had a, a variety of coaches at Arizona, Jay Johnson, Andy Lopez, and you know you worked with a few others in your, your few years as a player. Who do, you get, who do you glean most of your stuff from? I would say I try to pick certain things from each guy. Um, you know, everyone – all the coaches that I've had have been very fortunate. I've, I've been very fortunate to be able to, to learn and, and to play under them. And each guy brings its own, own style to sense. Um, you know, Andy Lopez with the, with the discipline and the, and just all about being tough and, you know, outworking guys and, and just the toughness of what it takes to be better than someone else. Um, you know, that's, that's the mindset that really started, um, ensuing with me, but then like transferring to Jay Johnson and into pro ball, it's, it's more about, um, how, how to be your best each pitch. And that's something that I would say the Mariners and Jay Johnson are, are very good at is, you know, trying to be aware of yourself and execute what you can do each pitch, um, on, on, on a nightly basis. And that's really the ultimate win is, is when you are in control of yourself and in control of your mind and you know that you can execute your routine and, and it will show over, over the course of a season. Now, obviously this is a, a new interesting challenge for you as a member of the Mariners coaching staff with the season on delay you know, you're not necessarily able to work with the players on as much of a individual and personal basis as you would if you guys were still in spring training or making your way to West Virginia right now. How are you and the rest of the Mariners staff kind of staying in touch with the players and continuing to work on, you know, their relationships and also continuing to help them improve their game? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is a difficult time when we don't see them face to face daily, like we would during a, no, a normal type of season. Um, but, you know, we, we've been trying to keep in touch with them once, twice a week, call, call them, um, make sure they're doing well, their family's doing well, they're staying safe. Um, they're doing what they need to do. Um, first off from a health standpoint, standpoint, um, but, you know, checking in and seeing what they, what they want to do, what kind of goals they have, um, what they're working on. If they, if they have a spot to work at, whether it's the backyard thrown against the wall or they're playing catch with their brother, um, just really trying to be there for them and their family is ultimately what we're trying to do, um, right now, especially with no timetable set. Um, it's kind of difficult to, write a plan for a player or talk about for certain um, you should be doing this, but it's kind of just trying to maintain what they were doing in spring training before we left. But first and foremost, it's obviously making sure they're healthy and their families are, are in good spirits. Do the advances that we've seen in technology with 
that stuff that Driveline's doing and other programs out there, does it help with that during this time that you don't necessarily have to be right next to them watching? You can get all these readings and, and stats coming back from these different programs that they have. Um, and, and are you are you using that to help these players remotely or are you more of just a kind of a look and a feel type of guy? I would say during spring training, when we have all the technology in one spot, it was definitely, we were looking um, at the analytics and, and the technology as a tool to help improve the player. Um, and that's, that's where coaching comes into hand because you have technology that just spits out numbers, but if, the player doesn't know what the numbers mean. How is it useful? And so um, we were really just starting to dive into um, what each pitcher and player needed um, to work on to, to begin the season, you know, running the ground and, and pitching well. Um, but as for now, I, I'm not sure many, many of our pitchers have the technology because it's all at the, at the complex, but um they are aware of what they need to work on um, and, and trying to become the best version of themselves. And so it's something we can check in weekly, daily, um, whatever they reach out, just building a common, common language between technology and, and what they want to do is something we're after right now. Uh, flashback a little bit to your your time at the University of Arizona. Uh, you look back at your college career. I think the first thing that's going to stand out to everyone is that 2016 team that made the trip to the College World Series Finals against Coastal Carolina. Obviously, the result didn't go the way you wanted, but that still must have been a pretty surreal experience for for you and for that team. Absolutely, it was the last month of 2016 college season was one of the best times. Um, it sounds very cliche, but just being, you know, at that time in, in my life and my career, it was, I just graduated college in May and we made the postseason, and we were traveling all over the world or all over the United States, I should say. Um, I remember like the last six weeks we went to Oregon, then we made a trip to Hawaii, then Lafayette, then, um, the supers was in Mississippi state. And then we ended up in Omaha and just for that five to six week span, it was just, it was a lot of fun being with the teammates uh, at Arizona and always being on the road. And, you know, we didn't have any school to worry about and it was just playing, playing baseball, um, and to top it all off, I mean, during the Supers, I want to say nine of us got drafted that year. And so just the the joy of being around and seeing the hard work come to, come to fruition, it was, it was amazing. Um, obviously, we didn't end up dogpiling like we wanted to, but it was just the memories I, um, we have for from 2016 is very special. Yeah, I mean, that was a whale of a series against the Chanticleers and, and certainly a back-and-forth one that when people look back on College World Series finals, that's certainly a series that's going to stand out to a lot of people. But uh, we'll flash back to the Super Regionals for a moment. You mentioned that nine of you got drafted while you were in the Super Regionals. Uh, you ended up being a 28th-round selection by the Mariners that year. Well, what was that draft day story like for you? Because you're still getting ready to play more games. You know, you're not necessarily fully focused on where am I going in the draft. You're focused on when am I pitching next and how can I attack them? Right, exactly. So, I mean, it was like, I think we played Thursday, Friday, and Saturday if necessary. And, and round one was like Thursday. And um, we had a couple guys that were on the cusp of getting drafted. And, um you know, it was just kind of, it was, it wasn't uneasy, but you know, it was just, everyone knew what was going on and um, just, we had a game to play. And so it was, it was cool being around that whole ordeal. Um, but as for me, it was, I got drafted on the third day, which I believe I forgot what day, but I know I was starting that night and I was in, in my hotel room by myself um, just refreshing Twitter uh, with the draft tracker and I see my name pop up and that was that was pretty cool just 
taking in that moment by myself uh, before pitching in a game in Super Regional. Um, and just to top it off, that night we walked off in, in the 11th or something, and, and we were going to Omaha. So just getting drafted and clinch, clinching a ticket to Omaha was pretty surreal deal. So you got drafted, started in the Super Regionals, and then walked off your way to Omaha on the same night. That is correct. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's outstanding. <laughs> yeah, it was It was a, a pretty good day. Um one I'll never forget. That's for sure. Wow, that is uh, that is absolutely incredible. Uh, I, I, you know, obviously, when a team goes to the College World Series finals, you feel like the stories from that team are, are shared ad nauseum, and they're they're all over the place. Are there any kind of under the earth stories or, or stuff that wasn't really put out there that you can share from that 2016 team that made it so special? I mean, just no i mean there's there's so many memories and so many stories to to tell from from that season but just one thing i know is like i want to say some crazy stats like we played 70 plus games or something like we we maxed out the regular season and we <laughs> and we could have played every game possible if we went to a game 3 in the supers um so like just the elimination games from regional um uh, regional play Cause we, we, so we won opening, opening day of round one and then we lost round two, but regional is a double elimination and we fought our way back, um, in regional play and then went to supers and second or third game in Omaha we lost. And so we had to go all the way through elimination bracket that way too. And, and so it was just, you know, the, the fight that our team had and just the focus we played with of not, Oh, this is this is like our last game. It's, it's more like, what do we need to do on this play on this pitch to perform? And that's just something that I look back at as a, as a whole team to be on the same page with that mindset was, was pretty special. And, and I think, you know, for you personally, I think that kind of experience relates to your four years at Arizona, because you came into college, you were put in the bullpen for the first two years, then you mm-hmm. spot started and then in 2016, you were that fundamental member of the rotation. So uh, how was that adjustment process for you when you came into Tucson and were like, oh, I'm now in the bullpen, and then you get moved, then you're finally where you want to be in the rotation? What was going through that process like for you? Right. I mean, every every pitcher that signs from high school to go to college, you expect to be you know, a weekend rotation guy, but... Um, it just not everyone has has that pedigree and so it was first two years you gotta you gotta work you gotta be you gotta make friends you gotta make um, teammates with with the right guys and see how they work and the guys who have done it before see their attention to detail and, and what it's all about and just continuing to learn the first couple of years of okay how, how do I go through this what does a fall season look like um, how do I prepare myself t- to get in the best shape um, to be able to be a workhorse on, on the weekends? Um, so just just watching guys and see how how they work. Um, and then even going to summer ball in Alaska and the Cape Cod, just seeing other other pitchers around the nation and, and see what they're doing and just always trying to learn and pick new things that you can adapt um, in your style is something – that um, took some time at Arizona, but eventually it ended up um, working out for us in 2016. How much of a factor was Andy Lopez in, in helping you through that process of, of you know, you, hey, you're going to be in the bullpen this year. Hey, you're going to get some starts, but not where you want to be to finally proving to yourself that you get to be, you know, you get that rotation spot with a new head coach, but how fundamental was Andy Lopez in, in your development through your first three years there? I mean, it, he was huge. It was, it was always the mindset of be good or be gone type of thing. And it was, it was the same for everyone. And that's something I really respected um, from Andy and it, each guy it was what, what are you doing to, to better yourself? And um, just because you're on this scholarship or just because you're, this top rated prospect, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's what, what the game sees and what he sees. And if you have the ability to, um, 
you know, execute pitch by pitch. And that that's what it always comes down to. And there's, there's, there's hype about certain guys, especially from high school to college. Um, but it's, it's really important to be able to slow the game down and, um, execute pitch to pitch. And that's, that's something that was instilled from Andy Lopez, um, my first couple of years. And, and you could just see the guys who perform well and how they compose themselves and how they took it pitch, pitch by pitch. Um, and you know, this, the whole, whole saying of be good or be gone. So you have, to, you have choices to make. You can rather sit there and complain about playing time or you, or you can try to put in the work and learn as much as possible from the guys around you um, to be good. And you certainly earned your opportunity and dominated when you when you had the chance in that 2016 season with that special Arizona group. But did going through that experience help you when you started coaching really the youngest players in the Mariner system this past year? Because you've been in every role a pitcher can be and you were incredibly adaptable in those roles and does being able to express to them how important that was through a first person point of view kind of help them out and also help you as a coach teach them how to be a better pitcher and a better professional early on in their careers yeah that's exactly right I mean being having adaptability is is huge because for me personally seeing or being a part of different roles allows me to communicate and have a relationship with certain guys on the, on the team. Um, especially at a young age when guys have been starters their whole life and they get moved to a bullpen, you might lose them for, you know, a couple games, a week, a month. Um, but rather it's just, you're still pitching. You're the, the plate is still 60, 60 feet, six inches away what are you doing on a daily basis to be able to execute that pitch? Um, it's, it doesn't matter if it's the first inning or the sixth inning, you know, if you're coming out of the bullpen, it's, you still got to make, you got to make pitches. You got to get strike one, you got to get strike two and you got to strike the guy out, you know? Um, so it just trying to understand where they're thinking at and then trying to, um, put it in a way to simplify it for them that they can make one pitch at a time and they can execute um, any pitch when they, when they are on the mound. Yeah. We had a fan question here that actually kind of relates to filling in every role you possibly can Uh, at Alex Ledbetter 15 on Twitter, wanted to ask you about Devin sweet, who was with the power this past year started in the bullpen then in the second half was basically the most consistent pitcher in the South Atlantic League as a part of the rotation. Uh, he wanted to know from your experience with Devin, do you see him as a rotation member or a bullpen guy? You know, I, th- I think it's too early to, to tell. Um, I, I didn't personally work with Devin this past year, but I know being around him through the offseason and early into spring training, just seeing that the type of guy Devin is, um, he, he, he takes his work very seriously and he's very um, attention to detail on his stone program and his bullpens. Um, he, he understands himself very well. And I, I don't know if he cares if he's a starter or a reliever type of say, he just, he, as if you give him the ball, he's going to do what he can to, to make one pitch at a time. And um, that's something very cool about Devin is he, he, nothing gets too big. Nothing gets too low for him. He's, he's the same guy day in and day out. And he brings a smile to the, to the yard. Um, and it's very exciting to see um, the work he's done during the off season. So a little bit of fun trivia about uh, Devin sweet. Uh, he actually is the first power player ever to throw a nine inning complete game in team history. Uh, that, that did not happen until July of last year in Rome when he went the wow. full nine and threw a CG <laughs> that for, that does not surprise me. Yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible to watch, but in 15 years we hadn't had one until Devin did it. And then two weeks later, Ryan Inman threw a nine inning complete game shutout. And that was of course the first one of those in power history, but it had never happened. And then within wow. three weeks we had two of them. 
it's crazy how baseball works like that. It, baseball is beautifully ironic, and, uh, and and you mentioned the uh, the smile of Devin Sweet. That's certainly something that uh, that we remember from him as well. Also, his love of the Avengers. Uh, he actually joined us on the podcast this past or this past season and uh, detailed which Avenger every power player would be currently. And there were some <laughs> there were some pretty interesting choices. Uh, I think Stephen Moyers was Captain America. Um, if, uh, that's, that's the only one I remember off the top of my head, but, uh, it was, that's awesome. yeah, it was, it was great, but he was, he was certainly a treasure to have, um, as well. Uh, going back to your decision to go to Arizona and the university of Arizona, I know you're a Phoenix native. You're, you're in Peoria right now. You've been around the Arizona area your entire life. Was it always, I want to go to Arizona or Arizona state or, or how did that process develop of you choosing and then eventually signing with Arizona? I would say during like, as you're growing up being in Phoenix area, everything is geared towards Arizona state. Um, but honestly, when you start playing tournaments and club ball and you start getting older, um, sophomore, junior year, it really didn't affect my decision either way. It was more let's play. And then what coaches come and talk to me, um, I'll listen to what they had. And, um, Arizona, was pretty much the <clears throat> the only one to consistently talk to me. And I went to like an ASU camp, but nothing really happened after that. And so it, it made my decision easier to go to Arizona and um, just, you know, have, have my senior year of high school set and knowing that I was going to go to Arizona. Nathan Bannister joining us here on Expanding the Grid 2020 Power Pitching Coach. Uh, now, I, I read also that you're a pretty avid golfer and ping pong player in your spare time. Uh, in the time that we're in right now, those are two pretty good social distancing sports that you can go do. So are you are you playing a lot of that right now with this, this time off and, and time away from, from everyone? I am. It's... Um... I've been, I've been golfing, um, of course, walking the courses, not touching pins, no, no bunker rakes, right. um, all that. So it, it's been good to get out and into the sun and social distance from, from guys. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been golfing more than I would like to at this point in the year, but, <laughs> <Of> course, yeah, <laughs> um, that's kind of passing the time right now. And, um, for ping pong, I haven't played it much lately, but I know if you give me a racket, I, I'll compete with anyone. Okay, well, I know there were there are several players in the Mariner system I know that are very good at ping pong, so I, uh, I'll yeah. certainly look forward to, to those <laughs> matchups come later on this year. Uh, I think ping pong, though, I didn't even think about it, but the table is about six feet away, so I think that's the social distance length. So it's basically the perfect sport for social distancing. It's two people. And you're six feet away from each other. You can't you can't get it any better than that. Exactly. And you get to enjoy some competition. That too. And, yeah. uh, and talking some talking some smack with your buddy. <laughs> of course. Of course. If you had to compare yourself as a golfer and a ping pong player, which are you are you better at? Hmm. That's a that's a tough question there. Um I would say, I mean, growing up I was I always played ping pong with my brother and my buddies. Um, that was pretty much a daily thing all through high school. Um, and I really didn't pick up golf until after college um, or senior year of college when I started to have some free time. Um, but I, I would say I, I've spent most of my last two years trying to get much better at golf, whether it's reading certain books or um, just playing with other buddies, other teammates, other coaches. Um, really, I would say that's where my focus is at right now. Um, I, I was, I had, you know, I'm getting into wanting to play more golf courses and trying to look up, you know, top hundred courses and seeing if we can play certain courses, you know, it's, it's more becoming like a, Let's let's write out a bucket list of golf destinations and see if we can go out there and and play them. Love it. Uh, did you learn golf from your father at all? Because I know he played in college, right? 
That's correct. Yeah, my dad played at Weber State. Uh, he played college golf, and then my brother played um, junior college golf here in, in Phoenix. Um, and and they play like when I was growing up, they would play every weekend, and so I always felt left out since I had more baseball than golf. But um, now since baseball is over and the three of us can go out and enjoy eighteen holes, it's it's good to hang out with them and and also they're pretty good so get to learn from them and try to compete um each round with them it's it's always a a good mix of competition and fun now your dad's name is glenn right correct see are are you aware that there is also a glenn bannister that was drafted in the sixth round by the red sox in 1973 i am not aware and I uh, I definitely know that's not my dad. Yeah, of course. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I I didn't th- I didn't think that was your dad, but it was just funny when I was when I was looking up, I was trying to find your father, and I came across a different Glenn Bannister, same spelling, but played baseball, and it, it I found it funny that that wasn't your dad because it would have related a lot more with you both playing baseball, uh, but right. same spelling, same everything, and he was he was a sixth rounder back in the seventies. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's, he was, uh... Yeah, he was. He went. He went to school at Oklahoma. He was from Arkansas, so I figured. I figured it wasn't your dad, but uh, just, 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 just a funny coincidence. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so, besides golf and ping pong, how else have you been passing the time right now? I would just say mostly trying to switch off between reading some books or finding a show on on Netflix um, or HBO. You know, I would say just finished Ozark couple days ago so okay new season just that. came out right yep um and then in, in the middle of um westworld i don't oh. know if you're familiar with that i i um, so i watched it it didn't make sense to me but i know a lot of people love it right it's it's very you got to be on your toes watching that show um there's a lot of stuff going on and so it's, we I have a group chat with a couple of buddies that we talk about it just to make <laughs> yeah. sure we're on the same page. Of course, it's a show that can you you can miss some things, but it's um, yeah, staying up at those shows and then trying to read in the morning, um, whether it's like I said, a golf book or um, just trying to read some articles about what's what's new in baseball. Now I know that besides being a baseball player you talked about back in college you were thinking about maybe being an accountant or a financial planner uh as one of your career aspirations where where did that focus come about so my dad's an accountant and um we've always i mean just i've loved numbers for some reason that's just more my cup of tea rather than like an english um speaking type of thing um numbers just resonate with me better um so i would just say just having a lot of numbers and trying to figure out a problem is more what got me into that um career but eventually in college i i went towards the economics and management degree so that was um that's where it kind of started was my was my dad being an accountant um but then it kind of evolved in college and that certainly being good with numbers will, will certainly assist you well in being a coach. Uh, wrapping things up here, we'll just do a, a few quick hitters with you. Uh, favorite baseball player of yours as you as you grew up? Favorite baseball player? I would say I tried to emulate Brandon Webb growing up. Um, but towards, towards the last, you know, as I got into high school, it was more Paul Goldschmidt. Okay. So big Diamondbacks fan, of course, being from Arizona. Yeah, exactly. Are, I grew up watching them and went to the 2001 World Series and had have good memories from that. So. Of course, of course. When you were in the Dominican, what was the uh, best food that you tried for the first time? Best food I tried. One of our coaches had us over for dinner one night, and I don't know what it was in, in Spanish, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure... It was goat, I think. Okay. Maybe it was, um, it was, it was type of animal that was, that was pretty delicious and definitely the first time I've had that. And, you know, since we were over there and got to try something new and that was what they recommended. So it was, 
it was quite delicious. Where's the the best place you've gotten a chance to travel to, whether it was for baseball or, or just leisurely? I would say hmm. last year, my family, we took a family vacation to Pebble Beach. Okay. And that was probably, we got to play three rounds of golf, um, Spygoss Hill, Pebble Beach, and Spanish Bay. And so that was, that was a fantastic vacation. So you being a big golfer, are you? Uh, did you play the old Tiger Woods PGA Tour games when those are still around? I did growing up, yes. And you would just hit the ball and smash A as much as you can to get more spin. <laughs> yep. yep. 100%. <laughs> and then try to make sure that you're 18 under. And when you, <laughs> and you, when you didn't get 18 under, you would just turn off the system yep. and make sure it didn't save. Exactly. Uh, yep. Absolutely. What about, uh, what about Mario uh, Toadstool Tour? You, you get into that one at all either? Nah, not too much. Um, yeah, not, not, not so much that Mario Kart. Um, I'll play it now with my buddies, but okay, nothing, nothing. It was definitely more sports games, you know, Madden, um, FIFA, those type of games. Oh, that's right. You're a, you're a Chelsea fan, right? Yeah, I, I was a Chelsea fan, and I mean, buddy of mine in in college um, had the game, and when we were roommates, he just played it all the time and then I was finally all right let me play this like let's play against each other and first team I chose was Chelsea and it was I fell in love with how they played on FIFA so I was like all right I'm gonna start watching <laughs> them and following them and then that year they won the the Premier League and I was like all right I'm sold and yep bought a That's bought it. a jersey and all that have so. you have you seen them play live before I have not. That is, if I ever go to London, that's definitely on the on the list. It's of course, a, go to Stamford Bridge. Love it. Well, hey Nathan, we uh, we certainly appreciate the time. Uh, in closing, is there uh, anything you want to to share to the Power fans, either about you or, or about you know the Mariners system in general that uh, you'd like Power fans to know about you? Um, just honestly, during this time, it's just it's tough, and we're trying to. Just gotta wait it out, and hopefully everyone stays safe. Um, safety and health is obviously priority number one during this crisis. So um, I would just tell everyone to stay safe and wash your hands. That's power pitching coach Nathan Bannister. We'll be back with more here on Expanding the Grid right after this. What a great and insightful interview with power pitching coach Nathan Bannister as we come back here on Expanding the Grid, getting set to wrap things up. But before we wrap things up, we just introduced you to a member of the power coaching staff. I need to introduce you to the other member of the broadcast team for the 2020 season. Uh, You know, obviously things a little bit delayed due to the coronavirus, so you won't be getting to hear uh, my broadcast partner and myself on the radio broadcasting power baseball just yet, but he's going to join us on the podcast right now. He is Dominic Lorenz. Dama, welcome to your first episode of Expanding the Grid. Hey, thanks, David. Appreciate it. And uh, I wish baseball was coming up on opening day on April 9th to see all the fans at Appalachian Power Park, but I guess we'll start off with the podcast first and uh, get going that way to connect with the fans. Yeah, we'll take what we can get. Of course, uh, fans who are listening to this are hearing it on opening day. We are recording this on Monday, a few days before opening day, uh, just to break down the fourth wall a little bit. But uh, anyways, Dom, uh, you're new to West Virginia. You're from California. So uh, for starters, uh, why don't you give power fans a little bit of background on you both uh, personally and professionally? Absolutely. So yeah, so we'll just kind of regroup a little bit and say my name is Dominic Lorenz. I'm freshly turning or actually just turned 25 back at the end of February and from Southern California from I know this is going to be a little funny, but I am from Corona, California. So no intention to <laughs> coronavirus, but oh, no. Corona, Cal- Corona, California is where I'm from. And 
for all those non-Californians, I'd say it's about 30 minutes from Disneyland. Everybody knows where Disneyland is in Southern California, so that's always a good little directional tool. For yeah, people, that's that's either that or you say I'm I'm so and so minutes from Los Angeles or San Francisco or or something like that, and that usually gives people the the, the area. Yeah, it gives an illusion that I'm right next door neighbors to Disneyland. I'm like, oh my gosh, what does it sound like? Um. It doesn't really sound like much. I just get a lot of freeway in between Disneyland and where I live. So I can't really compare the two right. that much. Right. And I say the same thing about Orlando because that's where I'm from originally. And I'm 30 minutes from Disney World. So, you know, people always say, oh, you're from Orlando. You must go to the theme parks all the time. And I go, no, I'd have to hop on I-4 and drive for 30 minutes. And that's a train wreck. Um, and I've been to it- L.A. So I know L.A. is much worse. Exactly. And yeah, all the pretty much all the surrounding freeways from where I live just to get into Anaheim where the Angels are or Disneyland or LA for the Lakers or Staples Center or whatever. It's a good 45 minute minimum drive just to get halfway there. And then if there's traffic, just times that by four or five or 10, depending if it's a Friday or Saturday. So traffic is a keen part of, I guess you could say my Southern California religion at that (laughs) point. So coming, so coming out to West Virginia and having to take maybe seven minutes to get from where I'm living to the ballpark uh, for work is glorious every day. <laughs> yeah, a- absolutely. No doubt. So, uh, so you told us you're from California, uh, ke- continue to tell the, uh, the story of Dominic Lorenz. Yeah. So born and raised in, in Corona, California, um, with my dad, Kevin, my mom, Catherine, and my older sister, uh, Jacqueline won't reveal any ages. Um, but <laughs> we don't, know, we don't need you to do that. We know you're 25 and that's all that matters. That's all that, that that's all that needs to happen. But no, uh, this, uh, a family guy that, you know, grew up loving sports, every sport. So going to different sporting events with my family, um, watching sports on TV, playing a little, uh, little league baseball. And then, once we got into high school range uh, at Alma Mater, Centennial High School, big top five powerhouse high school football team, did not play football, but I was there every Friday because I played the drums. I was in marching band drumline for two years of junior high and then all four years of high school. So I got my football fixed by basically drumming and pepping up the crowd and getting ready to roll every Friday night. So that was always a good time. And then while in high school, got the broadcasting bug a little bit, listening to a lot of different broadcasters. And I'm very thankful that uh, a close family friend of ours is actually a broadcaster for the angels, Jose Moda. And he gave me a lot of tools of the trade and kind of basically gave me my first opportunity to just kind of shadow him and learn what broadcasting on radio was all about. So that's kind of where I've, kind of fell into broadcasting a little bit. And then once we got to college, Cal State Fullerton, go Titans. Uh, that's where the yeah, broadcasting... We're, we're not talking lived. about Cal State Fullerton uh, uh, with, with the UCLA guy over here. So it, it's, we're, we're, we're not friends with, in that when it comes to that. Well, I'm sorry that, you know, the men's basketball team just had to upset UCLA this past <laughs> December. It just, it had to happen. Come on, Cal State Fullerton doesn't win much. No offense, but... Uh, Look, UCLA was, season turned out okay. So so we're, we're fine. It's, a, it's all good. That was... That was the best win of the last probably 10 years for the Cal State Fullerton program. So we get one every 10 years. I think I can handle that. UCLA will remember the Titans. I can say that. Absolutely. That is very true. But once, once, you know, once you, once you got to Cal State Fullerton and, you know, met a lot of great people and got to be a part of their um, radio station for three years doing a sports program, which was called Sports Mouth because everything that comes out of my mouth is sports. Yes, I do talk about other things in sports, music, movies, different things, but sports is the number one thing that comes out of my mouth 24-7. So Sports Mouth was a good program that I had on uh, at Cal State Fullerton for three years, just talking kind of – it was a take on – you know, first take on ESPN or Undisputed on FS1, but it was just a way to talk sports for an hour a week, uh, especially with the SoCal sports in mind and with the Cal State Fullerton Athletics as well. So that was a good three years. And once I graduated in the spring of 2018, got the bachelor's degree, uh, then I started my minor league career. I actually started in minor league baseball during the 2017 season. And it was with the Lake Elsinore Storm, which was the high A affiliate of the San Diego Padres. So I worked as an intern there, uh, co-broadcasting and doing media relations work with their number one broadcaster, Sean McCall. And that internship ended up turning into a full-time job the following year, 
not only doing co-broadcasting media relations, but also doing ticket sales. So I was on the phone meeting a lot of great fans uh, throughout the stadium throughout the year. And from there, it ended up being, well, you can do all those things, put that minor league ball cap on and try to do as many things as possible and try to get good at them. And that was kind of the mentality for 2018 and 2019. Did a little on-field promotions, on-field MC, put on a couple costumes, did some funny things in between innings while also broadcasting and doing media relation things. So there was a whole wide realm of things in Lake Elsinore. And that was a fun, a fun and great three years uh, to start my minor league baseball career. So you've been in West Virginia now for uh, about a month plus, I'd want to say, right? That's it's about, it's about six, seven weeks. Correct. Yeah, I left I left uh, Southern California on February 20th and I got into uh, Charleston February 24th and I got to spend my birthday in Charleston. So made it almost across country, three quarters across the country in about four days with my dad in my little 2006 Mazda three. If you see it, maybe at the ballpark or something wherever I park in this greater Charleston uh, Canal Valley area. Um, it's called, I nicknamed it the red Baron. It's a small little red <laughs> Mazda three. So if you see the red Baron flying around the 64 or maybe the 119, uh, you'll know it's me. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that, uh, he's fans can already tell that you've learned the lexicon a little bit as you properly said, Kanawha Valley, uh, instead of people who are not from here that would say Kanawha or, or Kanawha or something like that. It is the Kanawha Valley. And, and I know, I know we've been grooming you up a little bit on the, uh, the proper, uh, verbiage here in Charleston, West Virginia. Absolutely. Yeah. From a lot of people that I talked to back in, in Southern California that were, you know, fans I saw at storm games all the time, or some sponsors that I had that I've either lived in the South before. I know, I know some people that were from like Atlanta, Georgia, or in the Charleston, um, in the Carolinas somewhere as well. Uh, they kind of gave me a little quick tutorial one-on-one and some of the keen words that you'll probably want to get right or at least as close as possible so they don't think wow this guy from the west coast to go back to the west coast yeah and and try to survive out here as long as possible so doing the best i can to kind of learn the verbiage uh to a t well uh dom will will say i'll say this you know we are uh, we're certainly happy to have you uh with us on the broadcast team and uh certainly look forward to eventually uh, calling games with you at some point this year. Uh, obviously, we don't know when that will be, um, but certainly look forward to, uh, to to getting you on the radio and having you back here on the podcast some more to uh, talk through whatever we can think of because right now there's no baseball to talk about. So uh, we'll we'll have some more uh, more opportunities to to jump on together and go back and forth. But uh, appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and uh, officially here on the podcast. Welcome to West Virginia. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. And just a short little message out to the fans. You know, we look forward to seeing you guys at Appalachian Power Park once we start the season, whenever that will be. Looking forward to see your smiling faces, cheering for power baseball. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at the stadium as well as listening on the radio to David and I. And can't wait to bring you guys some great stories and and great moments for the 2020 West Virginia Power season. Certainly couldn't have said it better myself. To everyone out there listening, please stay safe. Please continue to practice social distance. Please continue to wash your hands and stay healthy. And our our thoughts from the entire West Virginia Power Organization are with you, your families, all those essential employees out there who are doing their part to keep these communities alive, and of course, the medical professionals that are out there combating the coronavirus out there on the front lines. But for Dominic Lorenz and for Nathan Bannister, this is David Kahn saying so long. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Expanding the Grid.